Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Oh, Coomer, you already know. We barely squeaked by on Saturday night, which means it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Hummer, that senior night was one for the ages. Every single emotion I've ever felt was felt during those two-plus hours of basketball. But you're right, the most important thing was the Bearcats pulled out a 64-63 victory over Temple, which made them, ultimately, co-champions of the American Athletic Conference in John Brannon's first season as head coach of the Bearcats basketball team. Hummer, this game was wild and weird and had so many different things going on. Let's let's start with what we actually liked with this game. What did what did you see? What did you experience? What did give me anything? What did you like? Well, let, you know, let's let's give props where props are due because I feel like we have we've heard this drum beat a thousand times when it comes to football. But when it comes to basketball, God, did our fans show up in a big way. That place was rocking 30 minutes before tip-off. Just the energy was electric. The the amount of, I don't even know, call it negative energy, what you want. It was still electric even when we only scored 17 points. I'm going to let you elaborate on that part because you said it best before we hopped on here. Well, but, I mean, it was just incredible. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the stadium was filled before senior night introductions were done, every senior got the got a novation that was well deserved. Uh, Trey and Jaron, in particular, I mean, the crowd just absolutely erupted when they walked on the court, uh, holding up their jerseys for the final time at Fifth Third Arena. But yeah, that first half was such a disaster. But I still thought the crowd was extremely impactful and still brought it, just in not the in an unorthodox way. I mean, the the manner and level to which. Bearcat basketball fans can heckle and just get after the referees. I think it actually helped stem the tide somewhat. I mean, it sounds crazy, but they were all over the referees in that first half, and we typically don't get into you know officiating, and really we're not. I was just thoroughly impressed with the fan performance in that game and, and the the verbal and, and abuse they gave them. And frankly, Hummer, you in particular, you were extremely impressive. I don't think the refs could hear you but you were all in on making sure they knew how disappointed you were in their performance. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I have the ability to project my voice very well. There's a good chance they could have heard me. It's possible. It's in play. <laughs> but you're right. The fan, the fan enthusiasm in the stadium, and then in the second half, it just became euphoric. The Bearcats played just an exceptional half of, of basketball in that second half, and that's what I like. That's what I liked. You know, I loved how they played the game of basketball in that second half. They they entered halftime scoring only 17 points and in the second half actually scored 47. 30 points better, clicking on all cylinders. I love some of the lineup adjustments Brandon made. He again went back to Mamadou Diara. That well is not dry. He is playing out of his mind right now and is a key critical component to our success moving forward. So, 
and we're definitely getting into talking the game here because, but I just feel like this is going to be a common theme throughout discussing this game. So one other thing I loved about the crowd in the second half is you're down what 14, 15, 16 points. I don't even remember how big the deficit was at this point. But what doesn't matter is that the first bucket that led to us grinding that lead down, the crowd was into it in a big way. Another way they were into it big. You're talking about Mamadou Diara. He takes that first three-point shot, drains it. He gets another look where he has a ball sc- the screen right in front of him. He has a good two feet of separation. He hesitates, and the crowd just see- seemed anxious, like just – Mamo do we want you to do what you do and shoot the ball. <laughs> Mamadou has officially reached the level where the crowd is disappointed, audibly disappointed when he doesn't let it fly. You can tell he's not comfortable uh, being a volume shooter at this point in any in any regard. But look, he's knocking him down in an extremely high clip. His stroke is pure. He rarely touches rim. And I, I kind of combined two things that I liked, right? I, I'm talking overall about the performance, but... Mamadou was certainly one of the biggest takeaways in that second half, and offensively is what we're touching on, but defensively, he's even more important. He's so switchable. He's so mobile defensively. He makes up so much ground. If he's, even, if he's out of position, he's almost never out of position because he can make up so much ground. He can recover for block shots. He was exceptional in this game. And that's been a big change from him over the course of the season because in earlier on, he... He was kind of all over the place where he, he would come in at the beginning of the game, his first minutes, and inevitably you were just waiting for a backdoor cut that he's missing the, the, the passing lane or he's too far out on the on the, uh, on the the 3-1, or before, I guess it was before we were running the 3-1, now you can't really be too far out. But he's done such a, a, a much better job of being in position and being in the right position from the get-go. I think he's found a way to channel his energy in a more positive way. And, and frankly, it's... it's, it's it's infectious. Not it's belief, not too. To, not you to know? foreshadow the, what's coming up here, but he's in, his attitude is infectious. Absolutely. And he just seems to have an innate belief in himself on the court at this point. Even when he's not necessarily in the right place at the right time, he doesn't let it get in his head. He's not looking to the sideline about to get yanked out of the game. He believes in his ability to go on the court and contribute to winning basketball, and that's exactly what he's done the last two games. What's something else you liked? I like seeing Jaron Cumberland take 16 shots. Aggressive Jaron Cumberland. I'm with you. Yeah, I really like that. I think we said that the last game. I know if you're going to go one for seven, you're maybe not feeling it. But you're a guy who needs volume. He's a volume shooter for us. And when he's not when he's not producing shots, he needs to take the shots. And I thought he did that exceptionally well. You know, he, he still shot a little over 33%, you know, in, in total. Still a little low. But look, it's what you need. You're going to need that from a guy like him. He's a guy uh, we need to be aggressive, and I think it, yeah. it sets the tone early. Even if you're not seeing success early in the game, you're engaged, you're bought in, you're letting it loose, and, and he, he made some shots. He knocked down some critical shots in this game. In the first half, when we oh. got down into a pretty big deficit, he's the one who kind of got us rolling again with the corner three-pointer, and the second half speaks for itself. <laughs> the second half, that other the other three he had just the— uh, on a, on a on a transition, just pulls up, swish, just co- oozed confidence in the comeback. That's kind of when you knew. Well, you already had a feeling it was on, but it was one of those shots that when when you hit it, it's it was defeating. It, it was the, the shot that defeated Temple. You're, they're just like, how do we do this now? And you can see after that point, they had nothing left in the tank to give. 
you know, or, or nothing, nothing left to pull this one out. Well, um, I, I, you mentioned the shots he's taking, and one of the shots he was taking, he actually missed, but it was, it was still a play that I think needs to be pointed out. And what I liked was John Brannon's consistency in letting the team play even when we go down one. He doesn't call the timeout. Temple takes the lead, 63-62. They knock down that three-pointer. Crowd goes quiet. There's less than 10 seconds in the game. He lets the team play it out, lets Jaron push the ball up court. Jaron misses the shot, but the everybody's scrambling. Everybody's looking around. It's kind of a broken play. Trey Scott's there for the tip-in. I love, I love, 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 love John Brandon's insistence and consistency in letting, in trusting his team, letting his senior take the ball up the court, and trusting them to get a good shot at the end of regulation. Well, let's face it. This team plays better in the transition. We play better when we're playing a fast tempo game, and I think Brandon, that's what he's trying to do as a as a philosophy. And that plays well into not calling a timeout. It's not getting the defense time to set. It's not giving them time to find a way to stop Jaron Cumberland from getting the ball in his hands. So by letting them play like that, let's just see what happens. And I think it's worked out better for us in the long run. We played, what, six overtime games this year? And we've only lost, I think, one of them. I mean, it's... Granted, we shouldn't be in six overtime games, but that's a whole other discussion. But we did win some of those, a lot of those overtime games because you're allowing the guys to play. Uh, that's a good point, and that's something I I missed. Uh, yeah, and just for the record, it's actually seven overtime games on the season. Seven. seven. Hey, that's what prepares you for March. Well, before we get on to uh, you know making some observations of things we didn't like, because it certainly wasn't a perfect performance by any means, Keith Williams attacking the rim, something I like. With Mamadou getting more minutes. Yeah, you do. (laughs) With Mamadou getting more minutes, it allows the Bearcats to play a completely spread offense. You can theoretically clear out the entire lane. You can go Houston Rockets. You can put Mamadou on the perimeter. You can put Trey on the perimeter. Jaron, Keith, Javen, whoever you've got in the game at that point, nobody has to occupy the post, which clears all of the space out for Keith First Step Williams to get to the hole. He is exceptional at beating his man and getting getting a huge jump with his first step. And with Mamadou in, he seems to be thriving. You know, I'd love to see the on-off numbers when you pair Keith Williams and Mamadou specifically because I think it's really brought out a very good side for Keith Williams. He's finishing in traffic really well. He's easily our most explosive player at the rim. And the more we see Mamadou play, which, let's face it, at this point we're probably expecting him to get, you know, at least 15 minutes. He's probably closer to 20 minutes a game, 50-50 split with Chris Vogt at this point. Keith Williams is, is becoming more effective, and it could be a huge deal as we move into the AAC tournament. Yeah, no, a perfect example of that, Coomer, is look, taking a look at that first half where Chris Vogt got the majority of the minutes. He was very, It was very ineffective play, and the lane was clogged up, and we, weren't, we didn't have any offense going. We had no way of penetrating the lane, and that was it was frustrating. We were we were actually talking about that during the game. How why isn't Trey Scott in the post? Trey Scott in the post provides more of a uh, a threat because one he's more athletic. He has I think a better post move. He can push the ball back out to a Keith Williams, to a Javen, to a Jaron. But like you said, you can also move him completely out of the post and have no one down there and just have 
five players who are capable of scoring on the perimeter with a guy, you know, and another guy who can drive to two guys who can drive to the lane hard. It's surprising that this late in the season, you hear us talking about our offense being more effective with Chris Vote off the court. And that's because Chris Vote, through a majority of the season, I'd say two thirds of the season, he was extremely effective in the post. And whether it's fatigue, I've seen some really good points made on Twitter. I think Chris Baines made the point that it's the most minutes he's logged um, since high school. You know, he has not been a guy you can consistently rely on for 30 minutes a game for this long into the season. Uh, and then I think, to be fair, I don't know if it is just fatigue. I think there's also a component of being scouted, of teams being more familiar with his game, of teams being reacting better and sending more effective doubles. The fact is, we're much more explosive and dynamic at the moment when Chris Vote is off the court. Whether that continues into the future is TBD, but I really do like how this team is playing when we have the more dynamic uh, rotation or lineup in the game at this point. Yeah, and maybe it's something that it's going to work better once we get into the tournament where the teams that we're playing haven't seen Chris Vote or haven't seen as much of them. We are in conference play where most of the teams we played, this is the second time the second go-around, they've figured out our weaknesses. They know what they want to try to get us to do, but they know what we've struggled with all season. And here's something that, you know, we're talking about good things and takeaways from this game. I don't remember how many turnovers we had in the first half, but it was a lot. But if I remember correctly, I think we only had two or three turnovers in the second half. We absolutely crushed that side of the ball and, and keep in taking good care of the ball. Oh, it was yeah. a, it was an extremely efficient second half. I mean, we scored 47 points. There was hardly any empty possessions. Offensive execution was not a problem at all in that half. I'd say in the first 10 minutes, our defense didn't seem to completely lock in. But boy, that, that last quarter of the game was just an exceptional defensive performance paired with really well-executed offense. Something I don't like, Hummer, and this might be a bit controversial, when you're a bubble team like the Cincinnati Bearcats are, I mean, we are the epitome of a bubble team right now. I don't think I like messing with the starting lineup in such an important game. I don't know if you start the walk-on in a game of this magnitude. Even McNeil, Javen, I, it messed with the rotation in such a way that we started so slowly and I know you want to give them their, their night, their time to shine. I actually love the idea of playing all of them during the game. Clearly, they should get their moment in fifth third. But we're honoring them before the game by bringing them on the court. When your, your season is on the line like this, I don't think I'm a huge fan of, of messing with the lineup. You know, I'll, I'll disagree with you a little on this one. I'll say I'll half, half disagree with you. Because this game was so close and so tight that if you didn't start them at the beginning of the game, you weren't bringing them in at all. That's You're not bringing them in in the last seconds. You're not bringing them down when you're down 14 because this game is so important. I think the issue was is he left them in for too long. That was the issue. I think it was to the almost the first two and, two and a half minutes went by before we finally got these guys out of the game. And nothing against their contributions of what they've been to the Bearcats. But yes, like you mentioned, we are trying to win the conference. We are trying to make the NCAA tournament. But I don't necessarily say you can't not start them. I don't think playing them in the first 30 seconds of the game is a big deal. Brandon's not a guy that typically uses all of his timeouts anyway. You know, if you need to really get him out of the game, 
But we, I don't know. There's enough stuff that happens that he just should have taken everybody out at the same time. Instead, he staggered them. He tried to bring in. We had that issue where you couldn't wear two sleeves or something. <laughs> yeah, that's Chris right. Vogt. Chris Vogt couldn't check in because apparently you can't have. Is it so you can't have two sleeves or you can't have black I, sleeves? I never actually. I heard. don't know. I don't know what the rule was. I just know, you know, they wouldn't let him in the game. So there was that mishap, but they was staggered bringing him in. You know, and that's that's execution at that point. Uh, I don't really have a problem with starting seniors. Uh, yeah, I'm probably being too harsh. I'm probably not being sentimental enough. But man, you know, it was tough getting off to that nine-two deficit with a lineup that just has really no business being out there, other than it's time to honor these players who have who have given quite a bit to the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, maybe I need to soften up. But Hummer, let's move just on and talk. Uh, let's talk some big picture. Just some big picture takeaways from this game. First and foremost, we mentioned it before, but in his first season as head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team, John Brannon finishes as co-champion in the conference. Incredible achievement. Let's let's talk about how important that really is, because at the beginning of the season, when we were listing teams as being the elite teams of the conference, who's expected to win it? Houston. Guess what? Houston is also a co-champion of this league. Tulsa was a surprise that that's clearly out there, but we are still up there. We won just as many games as Houston. So that's not an achievement. I think to be overlooked that that is what was accomplished in the regular season. So that's, that's a really big picture item. Uh, the other one, unless you have anything to add to that, uh, man, our home court. And I mean, this is a theme of the, of the podcast here is the fans, man, our home court. We our dominance on the home court. It's impressive. You know, the Bearcats' home court advantage is something that's real. You know, I think that other coaches in the conference know coming to Fifth Third Arena is going to be a challenge for anybody. And when we drop games, it's a shocker. You know, we we dropped two games this season at home: Central Florida and Colgate. Uh, neither of but which we didn't lose any of the big dogs. Neither of which you should <laughs> drop, right? Like, there's no way on earth we should be losing to those teams at home. And despite those losses, our home record over the last four seasons is 62-5. and five. To put that in perspective, Wichita State has lost 10 home games in the last four seasons. Did you calculate how many of those were Bearcat losses? I did not. We're probably we're we're probably close to four. I think we might be 40% of those losses. <laughs> 30 or 40%, right? I mean, it's just that's our court now. The roadhouse is our house. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know how true this is because I don't, you know, the source itself is is shaky. But there is a rumor that, that Kelvin Sampson, during the offseason, on the recruiting trail, congratulated John Brannon on, on taking over the most dominant home court advantage in the conference. I don't know how true that is. I'm going to pretend it's true because it sounds right. Well, it sounds right, especially coming from Kelvin Sampson because Houston's just got such an awful home crowd. You know, they don't consistently show up. The energy is not consistent game to game. They bring it for the big boys. You know, when UC shows up on their campus, they really should. Sh- empty. I think they had a thousand empty seats when we came to town. Exactly. So Kelvin realizes what he doesn't have on his home court, and he's wants he wants to make sure John Brandon is appreciating what he has. And, and I appreciate Kelvin for pointing that out. Yeah, because I'm like I said, I'm assuming it's true. 
And the, the final big picture takeaway, Hummer, is that the Bearcats are now going to enter the American Athletic Conference basketball tournament as a one seed. Because even though we're co-champions with Tulsa and with Houston, we win that tiebreaker based on our winning percentage against those two teams. Which is huge. The, the, the one seed is huge because what it does is it puts us on the opposite side of the bracket of the team that is honestly probably, if you were looking at Vegas odds, expected to win the tournament, which is Houston. That's who the side of the bracket we don't want to be on because we, I think, as Bearcats, wanting to get into the tournament, I don't think getting to the semis is going to be enough. I think we have to get to the finals to solidify ourselves, especially because one of the teams that we are coming up against on the bubble is Wichita State. And I know that we may have beaten them twice in the regular season, but when the committee that they looking at it, they're not going to say, oh, you beat Cincinnati twice. Cincinnati beat you twice. They're going to say, oh, you beat this many better teams or you didn't lose to this many bad teams as Cincinnati did. I think that's something that might ding us losing to them late in the season. And frankly, beating them third three times in a row. When's the last time we've done – We didn't we do that? We had a really good year where we beat a team three three times in a row. Well, I, the one that comes to mind for me is the one we talked about earlier in the season, which was Memphis, and we beat them four times in one season. Four times. <laughs> yeah, we beat them four times in one season. So if we could do that to Wichita, you know, if we could play them again, beat them a third time in our conference tournament, hey, why not? Match us up in the playoff game, in the play-in game in Dayton. We'll do it a fourth time, and let's make history. But Hummer, <laughs> let's pivot a little bit. It's Given the fact we're talking about the AAC tournament, let's talk about this now in the bracket and how it shapes shapes out for the Bearcats um, and what we kind of expect. So with that one seed, the Bearcats do get a bye. Our first game will be on Friday at 1 p.m., and we're going to be playing the winner of UCF and South Florida. So the Battle of Florida for the right to play the Cincinnati Bearcats, two teams we very recently played. We obviously lost a close game to Central Florida. And then we mounted a very, I would say, unexpected comeback against South Florida on their home court with Jaron Cumberland out of the game when when all hope appeared to be lost. And uh, we righted the ship. Thanks again to Mamadou Diara, Keith Williams, 30-point game, Trey Scott tipping in or dunking uh, his missed free throw. Both of those teams are frisky, but honestly, let's face it, we should we should beat either of those teams. We How did we not talk about that? Did we talk about that? Trey Scott getting his own rebound on a foul shot and dunking it, just straddling the line that is it just a lane dawned violation. On me. It just dawned on me that I made the mistake of not putting Trey Scott on the agenda, and now you've had to you've had to meet your obligatory threshold for talking about Trey Scott on this podcast. So have at it. That well, when I think about when I think back on Trey Scott's career. That is honestly the play I think that epitomizes the amount of effort that guy's given the program. Because that is a very rare play. Because it wasn't like it was a crazy bounce off the rim to him. He caught the ball up by the rim to dunk it. That's, sorry, that's, I love it. I love it. That's the play I'm going to remember Trey Scott for. And on, that's the play that Trey Scott said is his favorite memory as a Bearcat. It was so incredible and, and unusual that it even stood out in his mind. But let's keep moving on with this bracket. Let's just talk about it a little bit, game theory it out. That's what happens on our side. As you mentioned, we're going to play the winner of Wichita State's game. They play the winner of Connecticut Tulane. 
Now, it seems pretty clear. I would expect Connecticut to make pretty easy work of Tulane. That Connecticut-Wichita State game is going to be a battle. You know, Connecticut's not a team you want to play right now. You don't want to play them. Uh, and I don't think I, they've lost since uh, what, uh, Harvey. Is that, I'm going to have to edit this. Their coach name. Oh, Dan Hurley. Dan Hurley. Yeah. Oh, pick it up. They haven't lost a game since Dan Hurley was summoned to court. <laughs> when he was delivered a summons at home. It's like he said, you know, fuck you. Did he? Did he <laughs> we're not going to lose. Did he get deposed? I think he got, he, I don't know what you call uh, it. Yet. I don't know. I like to picture him being deposed like Michael Scott, because as we all know, Dan Hurley is the corniest person on earth. No coach likes coaching against him because he's so whiny and petulant on the sidelines. And he probably does influence coaches, or I'm sorry, he probably does influence referees with his antics on the sideline. Needless to say, it's going to be a really competitive game between those two schools. I'll be honored to knock off either one of them in the semifinals of the American Athletic Conference. I thought you made a really great point. The fact that we get to be on the opposite side of this bracket as Houston. We do not have to worry about Houston until we make the championship game. Houston will play the winner of SMU and Temple. SMU can be a little bit scary at times, but let's face it, Houston is definitely, I would say they're probably the most talented team in the conference. Top to bottom, really impressed with their roster. Definitely think they're a scary out. I expect them to make the semifinals pretty easily. I mean, they had two of their freshmen were were on the all-freshman team, and I think two of the other freshmen aren't even going to be playing in this league next year because they're going to go to the NBA. Those are two players, Sasser and Mills, that are just going to be a pain in Bearcats' sides for the next four years, you know, assuming that they don't, they themselves don't get drafted. But, I mean, they, got, they get good play out of everybody, and their energy is they bring it. Every time they step on the court, they're rebounding, they're playing defense, and they have offense. Well, I'm I mean, super sensitive it's just to scary. Them. They're so good at rebounding the basketball, and they seem to be in our heads. Uh, we just have no way of rebounding against them at this point. That it's It hasn't been the most ideal matchup for the Bearcats. That doesn't mean we can't beat them in, a, in any given game, but uh, you know we've done it once. Who am I kidding? We've done it once this season, but I do think they are the toughest matchup for the Bearcats. Other than that, Tulsa is the last team who got a bye, the other co-champion. Um, Memphis, they play the winner of Memphis and East Carolina. Memphis is definitely going to make easy work of... Well, I shouldn't say that. Memphis will probably make easy work of East Carolina. That that battle between Memphis and Tulsa should be pretty tough. I think, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting tournament. Beyond that, it's kind of who knows. But what do you think... What do you think the Bearcats need to do in this tournament to feel safe? Is there is there a feeling safe outside of winning the American Athletic Conference? Well, you got to get to the finals, but I'm not even saying then. I'm not watching on Sunday thinking, wow, we're in this tournament. I'm going to be holding my breath, especially because we got to see what other teams out there are doing. You know, but if we lose to Wichita, I'm definitely scared. I'm more thinking if we lose to Wichita that we are we are going to be sitting out on the outside looking in on on Sunday. Uh, but. You know, that being said, you know, I think getting to the finals is what kind of gives us that final push. It gives us another good win against a quality team in Wichita State. It's a team that you beat three times in a row, which is a very difficult task to perform. 
But something else that's going to be kind of maybe throwing a wrench into this, nothing. Now, this is all conjecture on my part here just because of uh, circumstances that are developing. But there may be a chance that this game ends up being played with no fans in the stands. And how does that affect games like Tulsa-Houston or Memphis-Tulsa or SMU-Houston? Like, what are the upset potentials when you're playing in these empty gyms. I mean, I feel like the team at the most disadvantage is Cincinnati because we're not used to it. We're not used to playing in <laughs> silence a lot. We're the we only, only play half our games in silence. <laughs> I love this. We're the only school that's that's conditioned to hear loud, lots of loud noise while we're playing basketball. The rest of these schools, no, not so much. Uh, it's a great point. I don't know that Tulsa travels, but if they did, this would upset them, right? You know, the... If these games go silent and non-essential people aren't allowed to attend, which unfortunately fans are not considered essential, well, they lose that home court advantage or that potential home court advantage. Because uh, Tulsa's only, what, uh, an hour and a half or so away from Dallas. SMU is obviously Yeah, you're missing gonna, the school that's in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, but look, I, don't, I just don't believe in SMU. I, I just don't. I'm almost not even counting them. I don't believe in you. Fair enough. Fair uh, it's, enough. It's a wild development, Hummer. You know, in, in Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine, he just requested that for indoor events, indoor athletic events in the state, and this is Ohio, but he requested that no spectators besides athletes, parents, and other essential, basically, personnel attend these games. It's, you know, right now it's a request, but it's easy to see that going to a mandate. And so I think, look, the, the Ivy League's tournament's been canceled. I think the MAC tournament's been canceled. Do I have that right? I don't know if the MAC one has, but one thing I will point out about the Ivy League, you know, I've been hearing a lot on Twitter, people kind of giving them a lot of grief for that. But what I want to point out is if you look at the locations of, of let's say, three of those schools in the Ivy League, I know there's more than just the three, but I'm going to point out three of them. Penn, Princeton, and Columbia are all three located in areas right now that are that are having major outbreaks. You know, it's I think New York has the second most cases and it's honestly it's it's about a maybe an hour train ride north of Columbia's campus where where New Rochelle is where they've now put in an actual quarantine zone where they're not letting any public events at all happen um, up there. And then in Philly you know, where I live, and it's the only reason I know about this, is there was a case where a uh, Penn is – the University of Penn is the major medical school in the, in the city, and that is where they are housing all of the coronavirus patients is at that university. But then a doctor was also recently diagnosed from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So I think that's a little bit different for the Ivy League. But for the MAC or, or maybe to say for the governor to say no, I mean are they worried about people traveling? Is that what they're worried about? I don't I don't really understand it yet. I think it may be too a little too premature on Mike DeWine's part, but you know who am I, I, I but you know, just it's East Coast It's probably a better a better safe than sorry. And I think there's there's evidence out there that it does pass more easily at these indoor events with lots of people in the same room and and precautions are being taken. And just to correct myself, the Mac tournament was not canceled, but they are closing the doors. So they're they're not allowing attendance to these games except for kind of essential essential people to the events. So very on and look the, the Dallas area, Tarrant County, they just had their first few reported cases of people who were tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. 
obviously the next 12 hours are going to be extremely interesting for the, the American Athletic Conference. There's, there's tough decisions to be made. It's going to have an impact on the results of these games because I, I just think you can't, you can't predict what the effect is going to be on teams playing in front of no crowd. Home crowds, loud crowds have impacts. You know, I just oh, especially in the NCAA tournament when typically the crowd picks up the underdog. Right. You know, that's 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 typically how it goes. And when the underdogs aren't getting getting rooted for, but here here's one thing I will say about it because I'm not a doctor, I'm not involved in this. I don't you know just the play dangers. one on TV. Yeah, I just play one on TV. Um, if they choose to play the games behind closed doors, that is better than playing no games at all. True. I do not want to see the NCAA tournament canceled. I want to see them play the games. I'd rather them play with no fans than not play this at all. And that's, I think that's where I'm going to leave it at. I, I just want to see the games played. And let me leave it at this. If Oresco decides that canceling the American Athletic Tournament is in the best interest of the student-athletes in this conference, the fans of this conference, the administrators of this conference, and he wants to keep everybody safe, and because of that thinks that sending the Bearcats as the automatic qualifier to the, to the NCAA tournament is the appropriate decision, I fully support him. I'll back him. I understand the decision, and uh, the Cincinnati fan base understands his decision. Hummer, you did mention the... <laughs> Moving on from kind of this horrific story and the, the unknown. Let's get back to what we really freaking care about here. Let's the get back un- to the bubble watch. Right. Bubble watch. Let's talk and let's just... Bubble, 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 bubble everywhere. Who should we be rooting against this week in conference play? There's one team in particular that I'm I want to bring to everyone's Wichita attention. State to get up, upset in their first round matchup, particularly because that's a team that is right below us. And right now, if you're looking at where we are in the bubble... We're not showing up because we're showing up as the league's presumed automatic qualifier. If we are not the automatic qualifier, we go back to the bubble and we're right above Wichita. So Wichita losing does help us. Yeah, we're right in there in that uh, that first four out area, most likely. Now, teams right now in Joe Lunardi's first four out include Richmond, it includes Xavier, it includes Wichita State, and it includes Memphis. Three of those teams hits really close to home. So I will enjoy rooting against all of them, but in particular, Xavier. Go DePaul. <laughs> well, I think if they get if they get lucky enough, I forget if I saw the bracket. Do they play do they have the pleasure of playing Villanova in the second round? I I'm not sure about that. You know, I definitely have not spent my time studying the Big East tournament. Uh, it's something that we, you know, you could check while I chat here. After that, the next four out includes Tulsa. It includes Purdue, Northern Iowa. Interesting enough, the out of the first eight teams out, I believe you probably could say four <laughs> of them are American Athletic Conference teams, Wichita, Memphis, Cincinnati, and Tulsa. We're all just going to feast upon each other and knock each other out of consideration for the NCAA tournament, probably exactly how they want it. They do have the pleasure of playing Villanova. The arch enemy of Xavier fans everywhere outside of Cincinnati. <laughs> I would love to see Villanova dest- destroy Xavier's hopes and dreams <laughs> and send them back to the ugly women of Norwood. 
Ah, easy on the women. It's 2020, buddy. Last four in. It's 2020, and Xavier girls are still ugly. (laughs) (laughs) The last four in. Stanford, Indiana, Texas, and North Carolina State. All teams that are probably primed for upsets. Uh, But these are just some teams to keep in mind uh, to probably spend some time rooting against. The last the team's getting the last four buys, meaning they are not projected to be in the play-in games. Marquette, Arizona State, Texas Tech, and UCLA. And I'll say this about mm-hmm. UCLA. I loved, you know, I have no I'm actually I'm happy to see Mick Cronin get dubbed the uh Pac 12 coach of the year. It looks like he's he's done an incredible job bouncing back from a very tough start to the season for the Bruins. But wouldn't it be fun? to play them in Dayton in a play-in game. Wouldn't, wouldn't you get some enjoyment out of that? That's actually a really good point, too. You're talking about other teams to watch. Dayton actually has an impact on whether we make the t- tournament or not. We need Dayton to take the automatic qualifying and the at-large from the A-10. Love it. Great point. Go Dayton. Flyers yeah, fans. Go, go Dayton. <laughs> I was going to say, that's something that we need to keep in mind. There was one last night that was a good one. I think it was East Tennessee State or something that, that was projected to be at large that won their conference tournament too. So I really do think the Bearcats belong in the tournament. We're going to go into depth about this on Sunday. We're going to record a Selection Sunday podcast. We'll be reacting to whatever happens, and we're probably going to have a good sense of what is going to happen uh, once once this conference tournament plays out. You know, if we lose or get upset by a team like Central Florida, I think we know what our future looks like. It's not good. Oh, our future, if we get upset by Central Florida, is... I don't even want to watch the NIT behind closed doors. Yeah, it'll look a lot like the town after Khaleesi burnt it to a crisp with her dragon. Uh, It will be ugly. It will be uh, shocking, horrifying, all of the above. We will be unsure how to react. There will be spice and hot takes throughout the city. I don't want to see that world. But it's also interesting you were mentioning, uh, now I'm just kind of looking at it. You said UCLA. I don't know if you mentioned this because they also, they're playing Stanford or Cal. So in a perfect world, we want Cal to beat Stanford. And then we want Stanford to beat UCLA. What do we want there? No, 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 no. We're rooting, we're rooting against Stanford first and foremost because they're lower on the bubble. So if California a 13 and 18 team can manage to upset Stanford. That's a great result for the Bearcats because that probably knocks Stanford out of the tournament. But then if Cal upsets UCLA, UCLA probably doesn't get in, not making it past the first game in their tournament either. I think that's enough that knocks them. That would knock them out. I think due to their profile, due to the bigger wins they've had, UCLA seems closer to safe than a lot of these teams. Ah, I mean, when you're on those last four buys, and and UCLA is also the last of the last four buys from from Lenardi's projections. I mean, they're still, you know, they're still down there a little bit. I guess you know we can we can take a bigger stock of this when we take a look at the net rankings on Thursday. Yeah, according uh, according <laughs> to the cult of Norlander, the god himself, Matt Norlander says, check on Thursday. The net rankings is when you should start paying attention. But Hummer, we're carrying on here. The Ooh, point is, this is what it said. It said, in with a win, UCLA, in with a win. Out without is UC is on that list, obviously. 
That's an easy one, Joe Lenardi. How do you put, that shouldn't even be on there. If we lose to Central Florida. Right. Well, I think we kind of know what we have to do. Bearcats fans, we got to take care of business. We got to win a couple games in this tournament. And given who our competition is, there's no reason we can't get that accomplished. Hummer, I want to, I want to leave with this. One thing we haven't talked about, and I think it's probably a more interesting conversation that we haven't had yet. In a conference tournament, you're playing back-to-back-to-back games, potentially. So we could be playing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if we're winning games. The last time we had a short turnaround was when we played Houston. We came back two days days later, played at South Florida. That was a struggle for Jaron Cumberland to get back on on the court. So if you're John Brannon, how are you managing his minutes during this tournament? When we're playing Central Florida or South Florida, do you see John Brandon potentially scale back his minutes or take the ball out of his hands a little bit more or find ways to, you know, maybe use Keith Williams, Trey Scott, generate offense in different ways? Because if you if you want to have Jaron Cumberland available in the semifinals or in the championship, I think John Brandon's going to have to be strategic with his minutes. No, I mean, that's a good point. We've had some struggles with it at the same time. We've, well... You said back-to-back-to-back games. We did struggle the first time we did that in this season against Bowling Green, Valparaiso, and East Illinois State. Granted, that was also in November, uh, but we also struggled late once we got into those long, extended games of the two overtimes, three overtimes in a row. Uh, You know, so that's a very valid point, a very valid concern, is is Jaron Cumberland healthy, which I think he looked better senior night. And I, I still think he was lacking that explosiveness that we've seen in previous seasons. Right. But the point is he's, he's not going to get any rest in these games. There is no rest in conference tournaments. You're playing back to back days. So you win, you win and you move on the next day. You're playing basketball again. There's not a lot of evidence out there right now that supports Jaron Cumberland being physically well enough to bounce back that quickly. So that is a concern of mine. It's a concern going forward in the rest of the season. If we make the NCAA tournament, you play a game on a Thursday, you're back playing on Saturday. You know, this is, uh, there's no rest for the wicked here. Honestly, the very best outcome is to find a way to somehow rip off three victories here, win the championship, because at that point, you're probably not playing in the playing game. And so in the NCAA tournament, we don't have a situation where Jaron Cumberland has to play three games in one week. Instead, he's just playing two. It's, it's a tough predicament for us. We'll see what John, how John Brandon handles it. I, I'm of I mean, the mindset. I if I had to take a, if I had to take a guess, if you have to handle it, you have to run out the lineup. You you have to run out a lineup without Chris Vote. You have to run out a lineup without Jaron Cumberland. You have to be running the offense through Keith Williams. You have to play Trey Scott in the low post. You have to get Micah Adams involved. You have to have Zach Harvey step step up. And you have to have McNeil come in and play good defense and Mamadou play play a solid game as well. I mean, yeah. that, you're going to have to rely on those players to give him minutes or give him a break. And that's something I think they can do if they run right. out lineups like that because we've seen that be effective. Exactly. I think that's the, the nail on the head is the South Florida recipe. It's the, it's the final 10 minutes or so of that South Florida game using that recipe but having Jaron available. Jaron's available – but you're resting him for extended periods and you're just letting the offense run. It's not the Jaron Cumberland offense when he's out of the game. It's the team. It's the John Brandon offense. It's spreading and letting Keith Williams beat his man off the dribble. I think that's what John Brandon will do. 
I'm very interested to watch and see how he handles this because I don't think that Jaron Carmel is in physical shape to handle this kind of schedule. We'll see. Hummer, great conversation. As always, appreciate everybody who's listening to the podcast, supporting the podcast. Uh, really hope you enjoyed the episodes with Matt Norlander. The Tara Eason episode was obviously exceptional. Really got me excited about his prospects here in the future. Find us anywhere you get podcasts. Please subscribe. Please leave a good, positive review. We appreciate it. And uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Slangin. Hummer, we're going to do something different this week. Rather than dedicate this podcast to a former Bearcat great, there's plenty to choose from. That's not why we're, why we're changing it. Instead, I want to go ahead and maybe kick around who's going to be the tournament MVP for the Cincinnati Bearcats this week. Who you got? Why do you even ask this question? You should just insert insert Trey Scott to anything that happens to be tournament MVP, can season your, MVP, con- conference player of the year. Can your mind ever entertain the idea that, that other players might be as impactful, if not more impactful than Trey Scott? I mean, is that even a possibility in your mind? Hey, when someone else on this team accounts for for more than half of the rebounds on this team per game, then maybe I can entertain that idea. By the way, super shame on us. Jaron Cumberland, Trey Scott, both named first team all-conference for the American Athletic Conference. Yeah, how did we forget that? Worth celebrating. We should have mentioned it way sooner. Sorry, (laughs) Trey. Sorry, Jaron. But you've got Trey, huh? I got Trey, and here's why I got Trey. Because Trey Scott is averaging a double-double. He's producing on the offensive end. He's rebounding. He's playing defense. I think he's playing some of the best basketball that he's played in his college career over the last month or so, you think? month and a half. You think? Well, yeah, I'm super smart. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's not. I don't think that's an outrageous pick. I don't think that's an outrageous claim. You know, and it's not to slight anybody because Jaron Cumberland has the ability to take over a game and win that award himself. But I, I think for me, that pick is just it's my, it's my boy, man, Trey Scott. It's going to sound pretty on the nose. I'm actually not going to go with Jaron Cumberland. And I'm, I'm not going with him not because of how he's playing. It has more to do with I'm not convinced Jaron Cumberland can play three straight days. I just don't see a lot of evidence that he can do that at this point. So I'm going with Keith Williams because my prediction is that John Brandon is going to really shift the focus of this offense to Keith Williams in this tournament. I think he's going to rely on that spread offense that we talked about on a lineup that can all extend past the three-point line. I think Keith Williams is going to have his way at the rim during this tournament. And obviously we know he could do just about everything else on the court. So as his, as his, I mean, this is extremely on the nose for the Cincy slang and brand. I'm going with Keith Williams. You're going with Trey Scott. You want to do? I don't know if you can if you can hear my dog. He does not like your pick of. Do you? Uh, of I can't hear him. Do you want to do any sort of uh, friendly wager on this? You know, we still have one out there just to give y'all an update. We have Keith Williams leading by one point, but we've seen major swings, uh, one way or the other, depending on who's having a big game. So I'm personally convinced that Coomer is throwing more chips behind Keith Williams because he's so afraid that that. It, when we make a deep run in this tournament, that four or five more games 
is so detrimental to Coomer's side of the wager that he just he needs it's not that he wants he needs Keith Williams to be the conference tournament player MVP. You have the weirdest logic I've ever heard. I'm in the driver's seat. I feel extremely comfortable. Uh, I'll take that as a no, but looking forward to the Bearcats' performance in the American Athletic Tournament. Expecting big things, needing big things. Hope the next time we talk to you folks, it's with the Bearcats locked and loaded, ready for the NCAA Tournament. Until then, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.